Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a really exciting episode with NBA Hall of Famer Reggie Miller. Now, how is Reggie Miller associated with mountain biking? He actually has been racing for a couple of years and he's been mountain biking for quite a long time. And we get into the story of how Reggie got into mountain biking later in the show. But Reggie's done six hour races, he's done cross country races, he's even been on the podium. Reggie Miller, six foot seven guy. So Reggie is one of the best three point shooters of all time. And if you haven't heard of him, definitely Google him. He played for the Indiana Pacers for the duration of his career. He was known as the Nick Killer, the ultimate trash talker. He's a gold medalist. He won the gold medal in 1996. And he played in the era of Michael Jordan. And he even talks about Michael Jordan in this show. Reggie and I met on social media. That's the really cool thing about social media as it really connects you with people that you never would have met otherwise. There was this guy that kept just asking me all these questions about mountain biking a few years ago. And I clicked the profile and realized that, oh my gosh, this is the Reggie Miller and he wants to get into mountain biking. And it was really cool to be able to help and mentor him. And he's long since appointed me as his coach. And I got to go to Malibu where he lives and he got to show me all of his fun trails and we got to ride. And Reggie is just such a fun, fun guy to be around. Like, it's hard for me to imagine him trash talking somebody because he's such a nice, humble, thoughtful, caring person. And he's got such a great family, too. So in this show today, we talk about how Reggie got into mountain biking and why he loves mountain biking. We talk about Boom Baby, we talk about his career in the NBA, we talk about trash talking, and also about family life. So let's get into the show. Thanks again for coming back and listening. Here is Reggie Miller. So we'll set the scene. We're in Malibu. We are in Malibu. We're running Instagram Live, we're running video. We're doing the Sonia Looney podcast. Is that what it's called? The Sonia Looney Show. The Sonia Looney Show. Okay. And we're here with Reggie. Yeah. yeah. Finally, we're finally we're in front of one another as opposed to texting. Texting or calling. And we were supposed to record this podcast back oh. in December, and unfortunately, your poor friend Sager. Craig Sager is yep. looking down on us now. He's watching the podcast. Us. We have butterfly and angels as protectors now. So yes, we were supposed to do this in Sedona, right? That's right. Okay. Wow. But I actually didn't get the podcast launched until May 1st. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, just so patience. It, it happens. It works out. Yeah. Things happen for a reason. Yeah. So first I want to talk about how we met because it's kind of interesting, the story of that. So how, like, first of all, how did you find me on the internet? Because I think that's, it was on Instagram that we saw each other. I read about you in, I believe it's, is it called Mountain Bike Magazine? Is that the I think Mountain Bike Action, maybe? Mountain Bike Action. So, of course, I get my monthly subscription. So I'm reading it, and I see this, like, endurance Badass. Can we curse on the podcast? We can curse. We can curse. Badass <laughs> endurance writer. And I think the article was your approach toward, it was the mentality, the, the mental approach of mountain biking, mountain biking. And that was my whole approach as a player. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like how she approaches. And everyone's on something, either Twitter, Snapchat, or Instagram. So so the name typed in Instagram, and there you were. Follow. That's so awesome. And that's how it started right there. So I read a magazine about your approach towards mountain biking and your tips and tricks, and I was like, okay, I like this. I want her to be my coach, because I was just starting at the time. I was like, oh, okay, that'd be cool. That's so funny. I want her to be, I want her to train me. I love that. So yeah, I was riding the trainer in my garage at the time, Uh and I kept noticing, like, Reggie Miller text like sending messages and, and leaving um, comments on Instagram, but I thought, well, that can't be the Reggie Miller. So <laughs> I just kept answering the, the comments without clicking on the profile, and eventually I thought, well, maybe I should click the profile because this guy keeps asking questions, and I if people ask lots of questions, I usually read and see who Which they are. Which you do, by the way, for all you people, she does <laughs> answer questions. Like it doesn't matter, she. Because a lot of people don't answer questions. Yeah, they don't. They're not engaged right. on their social media right. and. I think 
it's important to be engaged because you're building online community. Uh-huh. So I, I clicked the name and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the real Reggie Miller. <laughs> I think the thing that threw her off was the TNT because we don't have TNT at home. She's like, oh, what's this TNT part? Oh, like, is that like a fake oh. account or whatever? No, I thought it was like AC, someone, you know, ACDC, like, or is it the TNT? Oh, song? right, right. So, okay. Yeah, so I thought it was like someone well, that loves that TNT is my employer. That's right. Sorry, Who TNT. I work for. Sorry, TNT. And they actually set up all my Instagram as well as my Twitter for fans because I never was going to do it. And they were like, it's the wave of the future. You kind of got to engage a little bit more. I was like, okay, well, set it all up. And so when they set it up, they're the one that came up with Reggie Miller TNT. I just would have went with Reggie Miller, but that's, that's cool. I like it. Yeah. And the neat thing about you is that on your social media, people are actually getting you. They're not getting someone else. No, I handle all my stuff. Even though Turner set it up, I handle all my, whoever leaves a comment whatever pictures when i like a picture i'm liking your picture not anyone else no one i don't have handlers that's so cool i'm not that big time yet well maybe after <laughs> maybe after this weekend working out with you maybe i'll like, yeah, hire right. someone oh <laughs> now that i've got miss looney's attention maybe i will yeah, right. you know a handler or something yeah so you're reading mountain bike action your instagram is more mountain bike pictures know, and basketball type pictures so how did you get into mountain biking Interesting story. I moved to Malibu in 2001 and at a restaurant, this is the first day I actually like came into Malibu and I was going to the house to actually get the keys. So I stopped at the restaurant to get something to eat and a gentleman approached me later. His name ended up being Tim Comerfield, who was a bassist for Rage Against the Machine. He's like, hey, I'm a big fan. I love your work. And yada yada, welcome to Malibu, I live here, I live there. Hey, you know, few of us go riding. And I was like, riding what? He's like, oh, bikes, you should come with us. And I was like, really? I had never ridden a mountain bike. I ridden bikes, but not a mountain bike per se. I didn't have one. I was like, I don't have one. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. I have a few of them. You can ride one of mine. So he gave me one of his bikes, which was a giant that weighed probably 200 pounds. <laughs> it felt like it and uh, not clipped in. And if you could imagine the technology in 2001, which was what it is today, um, that ride ended up being Tim, uh, Laird Hamilton, who's the big wave surfer and adventurist and crazy man, Aquaman, we call him here in Malibu. And uh, Don Wildman, who at the time owned all the 24, or the Valley's Fitnesses, 24 hour, 24 hour fitnesses which he sold in and made a gazillion dollars. So those guys were like fitness fanatics. And at the time I was still playing. Um, I didn't retire until 2005. So I was like, oh, okay, well, this will be like an alternative to working out. Cause I was still in basketball mode. Still had to go to the gym and get my cardio in and get my shots up. So I really wasn't focusing in on mountain biking. So that's why I was somewhat of a novice. Like I would only go maybe once or twice a month just up my hill, which I couldn't get up all. I wasn't clipped in. This bike weighed, I just couldn't get up the hard hills. I was like, what the heck is going on? I mean, so I was like, Tim, I mean, like how far do you guys go? He's like, oh, we go all the way, like, you know, 10, 15 miles. I'm like, there's no way y'all are going 10, 15 miles. I can't even get up my hill. It's like, well, you probably need a bigger bike. Because, you know, he's maybe maybe six feet. Just a little guy. Little guy. And I was riding his bike. He's like, yeah, you probably need a bigger bike. And uh, so my first bike was another giant 26 wheels. Like, I don't know all the terminologies, but I do know it was a 26 wheels. And that even felt small and cramped. So that's when, as the years went on, and I retired in 2005, that's when I started to educate myself a little bit more on mountain biking. And here we are today doing the Sonia Looney podcast. Yeah, and you sh- you were shredding today on the no, ride. No, no. I am so t- My legs are so tired right now. I've been stretching that. <sighs> Drinking lots of water, but that was a serious ride. And I do that ride all the time. I don't go up twice and do all- Too fast on the downhills, but that second climb killed me. Killed me. I hate or nine out of 10, whereas four and five for you guys, which 
I was like shaking my head all the way home. They only thought that was a 405. I'm dying here. Yeah, I'm so, dying. so to give you guys some context, so we did a ride today. Point Magoo. Point Magoo and Reggie's favorite trails. Yes. So we were out there for about three and a half hours yes. and we did some cool technical downhill and yes. Reggie looked at the trail and he said, no, like there's no way I could ever ride that. <laughs> and less than 30 seconds later, he was riding it. And then he did it again. Because you made me like, you want to, this is what you did. You want to do it? Oh, let's do it. What am I going to say now? No. Uh, Come and then, the job. And then when I saw that you were able to do it, I was like, okay, well maybe I can do it. But then I'm not going to lie. When I first did the turn, the drop, no, I, you were the first drop was no problem. I was like, oh, that's easy. I'm going straight. But you had to turn on that second one. I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to be good. I'm going to crash in front of coach and her husband. This is not going to be good. Oh my God. You were smooth though. Like I've seen people pushing that envelope for the first time and their knees are shaking and they're all, your butt are smooth. Like, I might have going on on the inside and the outside. You couldn't tell. I have seen some gnar stuff and done some gnar stuff, but it still makes me a little bit uncomfortable still oh yeah but so i knew i was capable of doing it i just didn't want to eat dust and dirt <laughs> because uh, yeah it's all part it is all part of it is it I've is seen, i've seen some photos there's, there's yeah black eyes uh, <laughs> fractures of the scapula road rash but that's part of mountain biking that's what i love about it not only the community but when we were out there and we stopped talking to one another, how peaceful and beautiful was that, right? Yeah. And that's why I'm hooked on mountain biking because you don't have to roll with a lot of people. You can just roll by yourself, your music, your earbuds, you have a good playlist, and you're in God's country. I mean, God made that. Yeah. God made that. That's what makes it great. And we saw a crazy ocean, like many oh ocean views. Oh my God, yes, yes. The yeah. Ocean, yeah, we're like riding on a trail that was carved into the side of the mountain mm -hmm. with the Pacific Ocean on one side and you could actually hear the waves crashing during the ride. It's, uh, that's by far one of my favorite rides here in Malibu and it's just a chance to be with one with nature. I know that sounds like kind of corny coming from a 6'7 guy, um, <laughs> but I, I love it, I do. So awesome. So yeah, it was interesting because you said that while you were still playing, you were willing to go mountain biking. And I've heard a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't want to try mountain biking if they're like a massage therapist or some mm -hmm. other job where they actually don't want to get injured. Right. So were you worried that you were going to get injured and have to... Uh, no, because like I said, it was four years until I retired. So I wasn't doing it, you know, twice a week or three times a week. It was maybe once or twice a month. You know, I really wasn't fully committed because I had other priorities, which was still basketball. In hindsight, knowing what I know now about biking, I wish I kind of would have went a little bit more back then because I've probably been a little bit better than I am now. But um, I'm glad I waited because as long as this is okay when I'm riding, as long as I, you know, because I wear a suit now. Yeah. I'm broadcasting, so it doesn't matter what happens from here down. So I don't care if I have a fractured or scars or whatever. As long as, it, well, the black eye was bad. But as long as this is okay, then I'm, I'm all right. Yeah. If the face is okay, I'm good. So now I can take a little bit more risk where if I still were playing for those four years, I doubt I would have taken, I doubt I would have done that. Mm -hmm. I just wouldn't have, what we did today, I probably wouldn't have done that. Because mm -hmm. I'd be like, nope. It costs too much. I mean, because technically, because of your contract, you're not supposed to be doing things like that. Mm. Because if you get injured, I mean, they can violate your contract. Because mm. even though biking is a form of exercise and great, it's also, I mean, you could twist an ankle, you could tear your ACL, you could fracture your scapula. I mean, things can happen on a bike and they have recourse to be like, well, you shouldn't have been doing that. This is written into your contract. Mm. So I probably wouldn't have taken the, the chances that I take now, because now I, I, I can care less, as long as I finish a ride. Yeah. In one piece. <laughs> yeah, the whole basketball world is so foreign to me. Like it was something I'd watch on TV, and when I was in fifth grade, I had a poster of Charles Barkley on my wall, and I played- and now he is a coworker of mine, <laughs> TNT. Yes. Has he gone on a bike yet? No. 
But come on, Sir Charles. I know. Well, Shaq has he has one of those thirty sixers that you saw in the yeah. garage Sweet. that he casually rides around. But those guys, when retirement happened, it really does mean retired. Mm -hmm. You've seen their waist. But I'll give Charles credit. I have heard that he has recommitted to fitness and oh. lost almost 75 to 100 oh, no. pounds. So, wow. Not on the mountain bike. But Charles, get on the bike. Yes. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you another reason why I fell in love with mountain biking, because I said to myself, once I was transitioning as a player into broadcasting, I said, well, I still want to look good in my suits. So that was the main thing. I knew I was <laughs> going to get a good sweat. I just wanted to look good in my suit. I was like, oh, okay, I don't have to run and get a lot of wear and tear on my knees. Biking eliminates that. I'm in the middle of Mother Nature, plus I'll look good in my suit. So that was my thinking. And then the more I started biking and technology started to catch up, and I started to look at your Instagram and other people I follow that are deep, deep, deep mountain bikers, I was like, this looks fun and cool. You know, I, I kind of like this. And uh, now I got the bug, which is hard. I, I got the bug, coach. I got the bug. <laughs> I got awesome. the bug. Yeah, I remember whenever we first started talking, you said, I'm good. I, I'm just doing this so I can look good in my suit. Mm -hmm. And we talked about downhill, mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm not interested in yeah. that. I'm not crashing. I just yeah. want to look good in my suit. But then, then it started inching in. Well, how do I do this? <laughs> coach, what yeah. about this downhill? I was like, because when you're on trails, <laughs> casually, and then someone who is 70, 75 year old is like tearing by you, going up and or down, you're like, what is wrong with me? So that's why I was like, I gotta get a little bit more competitive. I gotta figure out the terminology, and I gotta figure out how can I get better. And then once George, George Moda, from Red Zone Racing contacted me on Instagram about racing, and I did that first race, that's when I was all in. I was like, oh, this is too much fun. Just being in that, you know, because you kept saying, you should race, you should do that. I'm like, there's no way I'm racing. But once I actually did it, I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Now I'm not ready for your crazy stuff, but. Not yet. No, well, <sighs> stop trying to talk me into this, coach. <laughs> it, the race is, and the guys and the women, it's a lot like basketball. It's like how basketball was when I first started, when it was everyone pulled for one another, which I thought was, you know, rare because now everyone's cut throat and out for themselves. And the biking community is not that. I mean, there's been so many times where I might have a technical or a mechanical problem or something, people stop. They stop and, have, you know, help you out. I just think it's cool, man. It really, it's really cool. I wanted to ask you a question about retirement because sure. coming from a, like a full-time sports career and mm -hmm. then transitioning into retirement as like as a relatively very young person, right? Like you've gone through this being the new guy, being the the high year career, and then being sort of the old guy when you're only in your thirties. I retired when I was thirty-nine. So psychologically, that's like a lot of guys that you were speaking about, they're still young and they like really retired. Like they just sort of, you know, feed up and off you go. But how did you get through that sort of psychologically and transition to something that wasn't like the couch? <laughs> My whole life, I've always had to do something. I couldn't stand still. And maybe that's the Virgo in me because I always have to be doing something, planning something, working out. I think I get so moody when I don't work out and people don't want to be around me. So if it wasn't mountain biking, I would be running or I would be doing something. I would probably ping, be in the gym. Ping pong, actually. Ping pong, I love okay. ping pong. That's a good sweat in that. So I have to be doing something. It's just now mountain biking has, that. it's my new basketball now because obviously you can only do basketball for so long, but you could do mountain biking for I mean, quite a while now. So it has kind of supplemented that urge, especially now tacked in with the races I get that quick fix of going to the gym. Oh, it's game day. Okay, do I have all my prep? Do I have my shoes? Do I have I got my gear? Do I have all my gels? Do I have my food? Okay, what kind of race is this? Okay. So I get to kind of be back in it a little bit. So, you know, I knew when I retired, I would be doing something. I didn't think it would be mountain biking, even though for four years I was kind of doing it, but I wasn't 
fully invested like I am now. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that also learning a new skill and having that experience of, because a lot of times when people get older, they don't try to learn a new skill. Sure. So that's such a rewarding thing, especially with mountain biking, because there's the fitness element, but there's also the technical element. Right. And getting that feeling of, oh my gosh, I, I did that. I can't believe I just did that. And some of the stuff you showed us on the ride today, like, I did that. And, <laughs> like, it's really cool. Like, no matter Fitness, <laughs> I'm way ahead more so fitness for mountain biking than I am technical. Because, again, I am still learning, like, some of the stuff you guys were talking about, PSI and the air pressure and your seat and the sag and all that. I mean, it was like, it's all over my head but I need to learn and know that stuff to be a more efficient mountain biker. Um, and that will come within time. Fitness-wise, because I felt that, I mean, I sweated my whole life. So, I mean, I know how to push myself where other athletes, I mean, I know how to dig deep. And a lot of people, that's a lot of times, that's part of it too, is being able to dig deep when you have to. So the fitness-wise is much more ahead than the X's and O's and the technical standpoint on mountain biking. Now I just kind of have to find a way to merge them together. And if I can, once I do that, then I can uh, go to Brazil with Coach Looney and yeah. you know, be part of that. Just kidding, no, no, no. Yeah, right. It, it, I, what have I always told you? Any race that you're in, I have no business being that, in. That's not true. No, no, okay, what were the name of two of those races? The death what? Well, the Julian Death March. The Julian Death you March. Can do that. And what was the other one? The The Test of Humanity. The Test of Humanity. Any of those two races, people, you hear death and the taste of humanity, you do not need to be in. <laughs> no. I'm not gonna be in a, in a race that has death in it. No, I'm not gonna make it. Uh, well actually a lot of the races I've done, after they saw I was riding with you, they've all been messaging me saying Tell Reggie to come do this race. Tell Reggie to come do this other race. No. Yeah, you, there's open invitations all yeah. over the world. You, so. you got your whole international racing career. Okay, you know what? I got to learn how to pack a bike for. I got to learn how to change a tire first. <laughs> look, look at these bikes. Look at these bike bags here. See, That's right. We're going to show you tomorrow. What's it's, just... <laughs> it's super easy. It takes like two tools. It's, it's not that hard, actually. <laughs> come on, man. No! Oh. No! Come on, two tools. Really? Oh, they're actually just, much. Yep, just behind the bikes there. Those are all the tools you need. That's it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Just right. use your multi-tool and off you go. All right. But yeah, no, I think like the confidence that you have from basketball transfers over to mountain biking, like the, the courage to try things. Yeah, and, it has helped. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Well, I, again, I think... Um, for so many years, they call it being in the zone, having a place like, because I lived in the gym, you know, my craft was basketball and shooting and trying to win a championship. And so I was committed to that. And if you're going to, whatever in life you want to do, you have to be committed to it. And, you know, trying to venture into this new realm of mountain biking, you've got to really immerse yourself in it. And you've got to read the magazines and you got to read who the top writers are, male and female, and you got to write what they're doing. And you got to live at the bike shop and you got to live on your trails, really. I mean, there's no better way than to actually be in the middle of it. And that's why I love writing by myself so much because I can challenge myself. And then when I get a chance to ride with a Sonia Looney or a Lauren Greig or a Ryan Geiger or George Moda, uh, people that have been doing this pretty much their whole lives, then that's when I get that education of, no, you need to, you know, your knees need to be out. Which Lauren told me the same thing too, like when you said, you said your knees are too close when you were going downhill, and she's right, that's the second person to tell me that. So, I love it, coach, that's all I can say. I was going to say, like, how important is having a coach? Because you come from a team sport background, right. it's just an integral part of the structure, but a lot of people on in the individual side sure. or endurance world don't always have coaches or if they do. So how important has that been for you? Uh, I was very fortunate to be coached by Hall of Fame coaches from Larry Brown to Larry Bird to Isaiah Thomas to Dr. Jack Ramsey, who was a huge, my very first coach who drafted me in Indiana, who was a huge cyclist, road cyclist. And there's something that I always remember Pat Riley 
who now is the president of the Miami Heat, but at the time when I was growing up as a puppy in basketball, he was the head coach of the Lakers and Riverside. It was all about magic and you know, Kareem and James Worthy and obviously Pat Riley with the slick back hair. <laughs> and um, something he always said resonated with me in terms of the coach-athlete relationship. He said, great players always want to be pushed and coached. No great player wants an easy street. And that has stuck with me throughout anything. So either a good boss or a good coach, someone who's going to push you and demand things from you, not necessarily call you, but direct you in the right way and pat you on the back when it's needed or give you that tough love. So that's always stood with me. So to have someone like you who wasn't taking it easy on me today, and yes, you did kind of drop. You didn't drop me and know that you dropped me, but when Matt and I were riding uh, and you're like, oh, I want to go up and get pictures, it was like, boom. And I said to Matt, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe she can do that. Like, we were grinding up that incline and I was about ready to die. And you're like, oh, I'm going to go get some video. And you were like with us and the next time you weren't. I was like, that. that's what I want to get. I want to get that. You weren't even in your best gear and you were gone. That's, I want that. Like you just took off. I was like, I gotta get that. Yeah. And a coach, they can help you formulate that. They can help you, even if it's online, you know, mm -hmm. just by talking, just by sending videos and pictures. No, your arms, your elbows, your legs, your feet. It means something. Great players always want to be pushed and coached. And you do that. It's like, that's why you're my coach. I know, it's too bad that we can't spend more time in person together. Because, I know, I know. Yeah, especially with the fitness part, it's it's good that we got to ride and then now we can come up with some plans. But mm -hmm. you have a six hour race that you're doing um, at the end of October and that's your first like really big endurance race. Right, I did, that was my first race ever, it was a year ago, it's called the Turn and Burn. And that's when George Moda from Red Zone said, hey, you know, we could be partners. And, uh, you know, so really it was three hours out of the six. We would take turns, you know, laps. He would do a lap, I would do a lap. So I was getting a break. This year, I want to do it solo by myself because I want to see if I can do the whole six hours. Because I feel, you know, I've wanted to test all the genres of mountain biking. I haven't done enduro yet. I don't know if I'm capable of doing that, but I've done one cross country kinder cup, but all my other races have been endurance. So I want to see like, what am I going to be better at? Which I, in my heart of hearts, I know it's endurance riding because it's just you and it's all about mind games. And I've always felt, going back to your question about being, you know, what does basketball kind of translate to mountain biking? Mentally, I was always strong as a basketball player. And I think that would probably be my strongest attribute on the bike because as you know, the trails talk to you a lot. Where they're like, oh, why don't you stop? Why don't you quit? Why don't you just pull over and rest? Why don't you? <laughs> they, 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 so I think I'm mentally strong enough to kind of forge through that. And uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this six hour, see if I can tackle Benelli Park by myself, October 21st. So come on out if you're in the California area, Southern California area. But I've got a question about mental toughness for you because like you said, you're, you're probably one of your strongest attributes was mental toughness hitting big shots and big games, mm -hmm. talking to other guys, getting them off their game. Mm -hmm. How do you build that? Because there's lots of athletes from the sure. neck down that are spectacular. I mean, they work hard, they're, they're gifted, they, they put in that, but they can't put everything together. So how did you get to that place and what advice would you have for people that are trying to build on, on their mental toughness in general? Number one, I think for me, you know, I grew up in a big household. I had two older brothers, an older sister, Cheryl, who's the greatest women's basketball player of all time, who's a year older than I am. I had a younger sister who's three years younger than I am. So we were very competitive, especially Cheryl and I. So always losing to your sister is going to make you mentally strong. <laughs> I mean, losing to a chick is going to make you, like, it makes you eat crow, but it makes you better. Personally, I can only speak for myself. Yes, I mean, lots of guys mentally strong. <laughs> This makes you want to work harder, you know, because everywhere I went, oh, that's Sean Miller's little brother. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to get so good. Well, I want to make them say that's, you know, Reggie Miller's sister. So that was always in the back of my mind was work, 
work, work. And probably that's where it started become mentally strong is, you know, there's someone in a gym at six o'clock in the morning putting up jump shots on the East Coast. What are you doing? How can you get better? And it just drove me crazy. It almost became an obsession to just work out, to try and be the best. I wanted to be the best shooter that this game has ever seen. And now that I'm mentioned with the greats like Larry Bird and Steph Curry and uh, Drazen Petrovic, just that my name is in there, that's good enough for me. I mean, because my name will always, Ray Allen, will always be mentioned with those guys. So hard work, I tell people, hard work really does pay off if you're committed though. You gotta be committed to your craft. Yeah, definitely. Especially when things get hard. Sure. And when things aren't, it's easy to work hard when it's going your way, but right. it's when it's not going your way. That's when it's really hard to stay committed to the course and, and not give up. Adversity happens to all of us in whatever profession, even if it's an athletic endeavor or in business or whatever, people are going to come to those crossroads where times are going to get tough. It's, it's what you do. I mean, how do you react? Because people are watching, There's, you know, especially if you're in a position of leadership, people want to see how do you react when times aren't great. Everyone's fine when people are patting each other on the back and things are going smooth. But what happens when the boat gets a little rocked a little bit? How can you buckle down and kind of right the ship a little bit? But like, what would you say to people, how should they approach that? When, when things get tough and the, the boat is rocked and they feel down, like how do they pull themselves out and keep pushing? Number one, you've got to rely on your principle and your beliefs and your training. And to me, the people you surround yourself with, you got to surround yourself with a strong team too. That's what I felt that I, throughout my whole career, whether it be lawyer or agents or teammates or coaches, that I was fortunate to be under in tutelage. Friends is probably the biggest things. If you surround yourself with positive people, then good things will come your way. It's not always gonna be rosy, don't get me wrong, but you gotta, you gotta have that support system, especially when things get tough. You know, people that can pick you up off the deck, help you out. Cool, I love that. Yeah. See <laughs> 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 if Matt, wanted, Matt had anything to add to that, but. I want to talk about trash talking a little bit because me. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Moses, Miss! Oh, the Terminator had to drop the. What did you say today? You were trash talking me today. Nah. What are you? Oh, I'm gonna turn off Instagram right now. There might be some video proof of that. Yes. Uh, but we're not talking about me trash talking. In fact, I think you started trash talking on my behalf directly. Yes. First, and I was like, no. Yes. No, no. yes. yes. Go that way. But well, the gift of gab, especially in terms of basketball, I mean, that starts on the playground. And it just came easy to me to look you in your eyes and find your weakness and <laughs> exploit it. <laughs> I mean, it just. Because I didn't, a lot of times I didn't care. Maybe I should have, but I just didn't care. Now, I never got personal. You never want to get personal. You never want to talk about people's family. But you do your research. And everyone has a tale. Everyone has something. And you go for it. Because if you don't, they're going to try and do it to you. So you got to be the first. You got to be the first. So it's like about domination. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's some guys that I've tried to, like, I... Desperately tried to get in Michael Jordan's head. It never worked, but I desperately tried because he was one of the. Uh, he probably is the mentally the most mentally strong athlete I ever faced. And here I am at the time, one eighty five. That's being generous. And he's two twenty five, two thirty, and the best player in my position in my division. And he's Michael Jordan. And here's this skinny kid pointing fingers at him. I should have cared because that was Michael Jordan, but I didn't care that it was Michael Jordan. Most players bow down to him as they should, and I do now because he is the GOAT. But when you're in the middle of it, you cannot give an edge. I just couldn't. It was Cheryl all over again. Cheryl beat me down. I'm not gonna let you just beat me down and sit here and take it. Even though you're beating my ass, I'm gonna talk a little bit to you, MJ. Yeah, MJ, 
take that. Yes, MJ. And he'll drop you on his mountain bike. <laughs> yes, come on the mountain bike now. I'll definitely drop you now. <laughs> yeah, actually. I'll get those championships now. <laughs> I, I saw a YouTube video, actually, where he was like throwing fists, like throwing punches yes. at you. Yes, we had a, we had a nice scrap. We had a nice, <laughs> we had a nice fight. One of, amongst many. Between him, Kobe, we got into it. I've had a few fights in my, my lifetime, which is kind of cool. But <laughs> again, I should have cared, but at the time, in the middle of it, I did not care. Yeah, like it's just hard to imagine that because I know you as you now. Like you're well, I'm a, a different humble, I'm, like kind, that's thoughtful person. Yes, now. But when I played, I was very ruthless. I have to say, like I grew up watching you play so i played college ball in the in the mid late 90s so that was right through your heyday all the way through watching the good times oh, yeah. new york and, and indiana and philly <laughs> and then oh great yeah. times great awesome times. yeah and odd watching you play the knicks and playing the bulls mm -hmm. and playing boston and, but at any rate you were not nice no, before I wasn't, not for no. one second <laughs> i tried to be but it was but it's, it's, you know, the whistle, I mean, the game is on, the game is on. But was that easy to turn off after the game? It was. For me, it was. Because that was my persona during those, you know, four corners and how I played. And um, Because I would drive myself crazy if I was always like that. It's almost like your defense mechanism, which you were talking about. Like, you said you were chatty on the, the course one time, and then whenever you would get tired, or I would drive myself crazy if I was always talking. And people, I'm more of an introvert than really an extrovert, but people always saw. They just thought I was just a loud mouth, but that's so far from the truth because I'm not really like that. But That's really interesting. Yeah. So if we're into it in an XC race, we're racing. I'm going to start hearing it. Now watch this. I guarantee you in all these races, people are going to be zooming by me, talking shit, and that's going to get me going. And yeah. I'm going to blame it on y'all. For bringing out the bad boy Reggie, and I'm gonna <laughs> clip out. And, you know, I would never. I would never. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about these shots at the end of the games that you would take under so much pressure, and how you actually could navigate that because most people completely crack or choke under pressure. So how did you not choke? Um, because I broke it down to its most simplest form. Either you're gonna be the hero or you're gonna be the goat. So you have a 50-50 chance. So then I started putting the numbers to it. I know how much time I've spent in the gym working on all these array of shots, hours. So now, instead of it being 50-50 because of the time that I spent, now that goes up to 60-40 or 65-35 because I know what I've put into it. And then who you're playing and the trust that you have with your teammates, out 70-30 in my favor. So I always wanted to be the hero. I wanted it on my shoulders. I wanted it on my back um, because I, the, the guys that I played with, you know, I wanted to take the pressure off them. And I, I just wanted the ball in those big moments. Not to always be the hero because a lot of times you're a decoy, you have to be a decoy. But especially in those playoff moments, also too, because if you don't do it, then the writers and everyone's gonna be like, well, they go to the flip side, what's wrong with you? Why, why can't you do that? So I know how much hard work I would put into it. And that's why I always wanted to, to have the ball in those moments. That's cool. Like you completely trusted your training, like what you yes. were talking about and you're like all the hard work you put in and having the confidence and the belief in yourself. Why, would, why you wouldn't I make this shot? Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I believe it's Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote a book, Outliers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read that, and, you know, the Beatles, before they were the Beatles, they did every catalog of every song and they would go to these dive bars and they just honed their craft. And I think it was like 10,000 hours that, you had to put in. I was like, I like, that's, that's me. I mean, I know how much time I was putting in. So you trust in that and you know, you let the results fall. I didn't always succeed, but damn it. I wanted the ball. 
Yeah. Yeah, the trust in your process. Like, I have a sports psychologist, and mm -hmm. before the Transylvania Epic in May, I didn't put the work in before the race. I had all these other things I was doing that had to do with my business side of what I'm doing, but I didn't put the work in, so I, I knew I didn't put the work in. Right. So going into this race, I was like, oh my gosh, uh, how can I feel good about this? Because I know that I didn't do the work to try to win the race. Mm -hmm. And she just said, look, like, just focus on your process on a right. daily basis. Focus on not just the stuff that you just did, but on, on the years that you've put into this. Mm -hmm. And it was enough. Like, I was, I was winning the race. And, yeah, I think that I've heard this from other athletes that have been on the show, too. It's all about your process and trusting in Process, that. and a lot of times it becomes, like, second nature to you. Like, you know, when we were talking before we went on our first ride, and you saw the, the hoop there, we were talking, like, it's been so long since, you know, we shot. But I guarantee you, if I threw a ball to you and you were in an empty gym, it would become second nature because you know all the hours that you put shooting, dribbling, passing, it would become second nature to you because that was your lifeline, that was your blood. Same thing with racing or whatever it is. When you trust the process and you trust all those hours, even though you might not have been in the best of shape, as an athlete, again, you can revert back, you can dig deep, and that's what separates the good from the great because there's a lot of good NBA players but there's very few great ones and there's that's good but the great ones are here and it's how they mentally approach they can do it every night four games and five nights on that fourth game when there's only one day in between they give it to you those are the great ones the good ones they can't reach they can't reach that deep yeah that's really interesting so now you're a commentator. Yes. And that must be really nice to still be part of the game, but what's it like being on the other side? Um, it's cool because now I can say whatever I want and not get fined by the NBA. <laughs> 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 so I can say what I want and not worry about a pink slip being in my locker because I was criticizing <laughs> the league. Can I get um, inject right. injections from the commentator box? Right, I won't get injected. Um, because Turner pays us for our opinion, which is great. And uh, I tell people, I get the best seats in the house. I'm at center court talking about basketball. I mean, life is great. I mean, free tickets to some of the biggest sporting events and watching some of the greatest players perform at a high level. And I get to talk about that. I mean, it's so cool. I love it. Yeah, yeah, and I, you were mentioning the other day too that people come to you and ask you for tips and advice and like you love giving back and helping. And, Absolutely, especially yeah. kids and young adults who are looking to become better shooters or better players um, because you've got to pay it forward. you got to find a way to advance the game. And that's why I try and sign as many autographs as I can when I'm in the arena. And... Um, you know, when kids come up and say, you know, I know you had a, an orthodox shooting uh, motion. Uh, my coach wants me to shoot like this and keep my elbow in. I was like, well, what makes you comfortable? He's like, well, when I shoot like that, I was like, well, does this ball go in? He's like, yeah, sometimes. Well, stick with what you think, you know, you believe and you feel. Because so many people try to get me to change my shot and my results was better than what they were trying to get me to do. So you've got you to gotta know what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. But you, and, and when you pay it forward, you don't know if that's the next Ray Allen or Steph Curry. You know, mm -hmm. you, you've got to advance the game or find a way to advance the game. Yeah, I think it's a big part of building community. Like, right. You know, those, those little moments when, you, you know, it's not these big grand gestures, it's these, these little tiny things that stack up. And Absolutely. Add and Absolutely. That's really cool to see, actually. Yeah, and then for, for cycling now, you're, you're, you're plugging into that community now, and it seems like you've had a really great response, actually. Every, and I don't know how you, you seem to have a really uh, great knack for picking really great people to mm -hmm. connect with, too. So, so. It, it's funny because... Um, you never know who will respond back, like, you know, a Coach Looney. So I, I, <laughs> I looked at, like, how would I 
want to ride? How would I want to be perceived? So, you know, looking at Lauren, uh, yourself, Ryan, who now he teaches, um, those are people, because you talk about building the biking community, they're trying to empower other people. I was like, that's the kind of people I want to roll with because when things hit the fan, you want people like that to support you. So um, that's why mountain, you know, when I go to the races, uh, because it's still new to me, I think I've done a handful of races. I I'm still in awe at the camaraderie that everyone has with one another. I mean, we're getting ready to be on this bike for six hours, but everyone's pulling for one another. And I think that is so cool because you know, I do not come from a world like that recently. And it's so cool to see. It really is. Yeah, the thing that I love about endurance racing is that you still want to kill everybody on mm -hmm. the start line, sure. but you also hope that they ride well because right. you want your competitor to be at their best because it's going to push you to be sure. even better. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It just matters what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing doesn't really affect what you're doing. Right. So, yeah, it's a really interesting thing about mountain biking because people worry about everybody else <clears throat> whenever they haven't done a lot of racing. Or they worry about all these things out of their control that could happen. Mm -hmm. But you can't think about those things. You just show up and you're like, I'm here and I'm going to have an adventure and I'm going to do my best. And when I finish this thing, I'm going to be different and I'm going to be even better than I was when I started. And it doesn't matter what Bob or Tony or whoever, whomever is, is doing, but hey, maybe I can even have an adventure that brings us closer together. And that's right. why I love stage racing. And eventually I think you should do one because you, oh, yeah. it builds, <laughs> it builds camaraderie and community in a way that a one day race can't because you're spending three days or five days or 10 days with the same people. Right. Sometimes you're sleeping in tents and everybody rides the same course. Do you think these legs <laughs> in a tent? I don't, I don't know. They'll just be sticking out. They'll just be sticking out. Be sticking out. <laughs> That'd be so awesome. I, I got to build up to that. Um, I think it would be really cool. As you said, a few people do hit me on, on Instagram inviting me to these epic races. Um, but I have to build up my base before My stage race partner needs to get in shape for stage racing. Well, if there's anything like today, <laughs> I'm not going to want to disappoint you. <laughs> yeah, but see, when you have a good teammate, they push you. <sighs> it, it looked pretty funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's going to be like, I'll, I'm going to look like Shrek, <laughs> this tall guy on a mountain bike. I mean, that's the, that is the funny thing when I'm at these races, because... Here comes like Big Shack and all these other little guys at the start, and I'm like looking down and I'm like, oh god, like one you of these things is not like the other. I'm like, what's going on here? I don't want to accidentally step on anyone. <laughs> right. I feel so bad. Like, oh, come here, little fellow. You ready to ride? You ready to ride our bikes? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because with Matt. He's usually one of the tallest guys at the race, and he doesn't think he's tall because he was playing basketball all the time mm -hmm. around like these really tall guys. But I keep telling him, in cycling, you're pretty tall, so you are a giant. I, I am like <laughs> jolly green giant. <laughs> Trust me, when people see me on the trail, they're like, holy, whoa. We're like, did you get that bike, Bill? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> So let's talk about Boom Baby and your jersey yeah. and all this stuff. So how did this come to be? Um, another dear friend of mine, Mel Daniels, who was like a mentor of mine um, when I was drafted, and he is a Pacer legend, played in the ABA, won the champ three championships with the Indiana Pacers, and uh, had always taken me under his wing for those 18 years, a guy that I could talk to advice because you know he had seen it lived it breathed it um his mission um later in his life was to take care of those aba guys so he really along with these two other gentlemen started the dropping dying dropping dimes foundation while i was still playing and uh, he passed a couple of years ago so it was my life's mission was to keep that going for him because i know how much he cared for those guys in that ABA league. That league was only around four or five years before the NBA bought it out. And really good players like Dr. J 
and Moses Malone, George Gervin. Well, of course, they went to the NBA, but there was a lot of those other guys that didn't have that opportunity. They didn't have no health insurance, uh, no 401k, nothing to fall back on because they were only there for four years, and the really great players got a chance to continue in the NBA, and these guys were left you know, on hard times. So uh, our friends at Castelli, I wanted to combine my love of mountain biking with their jerseys, and the boom baby, that's the famous saying, in Indiana, when I used to hit threes, the commentator would always say, boom, baby. And uh, that has stuck with me, obviously, in Indiana. And I asked Slick Leonard, who was the coach of those ABA Indiana Pacers, and Uncle Mel, if I could trademark, you know, boom, baby, because that's insane. He's like, absolutely, you know, to pay it forward, keep it going. And uh, so that's where boom, baby came, came from with Castelli and to give back uh, to the Dropping Dimes Foundation. Yeah, and you did a, a crowdfund where people could buy a kit and then you matched the total. I matched, it was, ended up being for one month, you know, we did it for one month, the month of June, um, and it ended up being close to about 8,500 and we matched oh, that, wow. so yeah, yeah. For one month, I was like, wow, this is, people, plus it has the Indiana Pacers colors and so people were really digging that gold, the maize colors, the gold and the blue. And uh, I said, I want people to notice when we're on the trails, which they do, the gold sticks out. So yeah. it's, it's awesome. So now we're going to continue the Boom Baby um, jerseys. They won't be for sale, but like I'm gonna do them in different colors just to mm -hmm. keep it going. Every season, it's like, a, you know, every mountain bike season, I'm gonna have a new Boom Baby jersey, a new color. I just want to keep it going. See how you got me hooked? I got jerseys coming and new seasons and That's right. new race seasons. Right, right. So, no, it's, it's going to be cool. Yeah, that's really neat. And it's really neat to see you like inter, inter, uh, interact with the mountain bike community and the mountain bike community interact with you. Like everybody is so excited that you're they, mountain biking. Like you, like you initially were, they couldn't believe that it was me. Actually, yeah, really, is this really you? I was like, yeah, it's really me. I'm a big fan. Like, I like Aaron Gwynn, who I think is like here. He's like, is this really? I'm like, yeah, dude. You know, <laughs> the videos are cool. I, 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 and he's trying to get me to see now. I can't ride with him, but he's trying to get me to ride with him. You should. He's an amazing teacher. Oh, wow. No, for they want me to do a Red Bull series with him to wow. ride with him, but I. Have you seen? No, I would. No, I would die. Yeah, but he, I would die. But he's like. And he's not going to take it easy on me. But he's an amazing teacher. Like you are. Like you would miss out. Like I would take that chance in a second. And it would be great coffee if you, you know, had a few bad wrecks. I was gonna say. Oh my god, that that it would be everywhere on Red Bull TV. <laughs> but I might take him up on that. I that would be should. cool. I think you should. Yeah. I might take him up on that. Yeah. Yeah, so you just got home, you were filming a movie. The Uncle Drew movie, starring Kyrie Irving, who is Uncle Drew. And for those of you who don't know Uncle Drew, it's more so like his alter ego, his 75-year-old <laughs> ego. So if you've seen, gone to YouTube and seen the Uncle Drew um, Pepsi spots where he's in full prosthetic makeup and he looks like a 75-year-old man and he goes to a, you know, a outdoor court and there's some young guys not playing the right way and kind of goes up and talks to them in that old voice and you know they're like oh man get on out of here and he's like yeah I'll get out of here why don't you just throw me the ball and he basically just schools them one on one because it's Kyrie Irving <laughs> so they found a way to make a script out of these unbelievable YouTube spots and uh, it's starring Shaquille O'Neal, myself, Chris Webber, Lisa Leslie, obviously Kyrie, and the two actors. Uh, the main guy, his name is Lil Rail. He's a comedian, comedian, and Erica Ash, who stars on Survivor's Remorse on Showtime. So, for the shot for a month in Atlanta, and uh, it has its debut June 29th, 2018. And we cannot be more proud of it. We think this is going to be one of those basketball classic movies. Because it hasn't been a good basketball movie in a while. Hoosiers, I think? 
when you're in the middle of it, you don't have the time, you, you know, you're focusing on other things. I don't have anything else to focus on. I mean, I, yes, I work for Turner, but other than those kids, that's my main focus. And uh, it has taught me more patience than anything else. So I'm so fortunate and glad that I waited later in life to have the kids, because I don't know if I would have the same patience I have now, I would have when I was 27, 28, 30, than I do now, because now it's, it's all about them and her. Yeah, that's so cool. And you can really tell from your Instagram just how much you love oh, being a dad. They are, they're great, seriously. Um, Mini me, because when I look at him, that stubbornness that I had as a kid and as a player, I see in him when he tries to figure out things. And I love that, you know, because you're looking, you're looking at Mini-Me, you're looking at you. And I, I love that, that he's trying to figure out his way. He's only four, but he is a little man. And the princess, she runs things in the house now because it's all about her. It's <laughs> all about her, especially daddy's little girl. I mean, ah. Uh, those, yeah, I think she already knows it. Yeah, too. those eyes, blue eyes, she keeps looking at you with her hand. I'm like, don't do this to me. <laughs> We're going to keep you here till you are 40. <laughs> We're going to keep you here. To build a tower. That's right. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Anywhere. That's right. So we've, seen, we've seen pictures with uh, you guys on bikes, too, with the kids are yes, pedaling. Yes, you? yes. Well, and that's another thing. you got to start them young. And he, he loves biking and he just got his training wheels off while we were in Hawaii oh. and uh, oh my God, the expression on his face when he was rolling down the pavement and he would stop. He's like, I did it. I mean, what got to go biking with, I mean, that's, oh, it kills me. It just kills me and his helmet, his hair is flopping all over the place. It's. It's the best. It really is. So now we got him on dirt and he's going down hills on dirt. So the next thing is he has to have a crash, right, Matt? <laughs> he's got to have a crash. So he figures it out. He's got a crash. Yeah, everybody remembers their first everybody crash. Everyone remembers their first crash. It's <laughs> what he does after that. If he wants to get back on the bike, That's which right. we hope happens, then you're all good. You're all good. So how is it? Because it I think a really hard thing whenever you have kids would be expectations on your kids. Mm -hmm. And not, not just for their career and what they should be, but who they should be as a person sure. and being able to accept them as who they are mm -hmm. instead of expecting them to be a certain way. So have you had to think about that yet? I mean, I know they're still oh, really absolutely. young. absolutely. No, you gotta start them young. Um, my two things, because I come from a military background and family growing up in a yes sir, no sir type of atmosphere. Two things I want from, from them, just to have respect and to show empathy for others. That's it. I don't care what else you do in the rest of your life, whether it be athletic or in school, if you can respect others and look them in the eye and thank them and show empathy. If someone is hurting or someone is feeling bad to walk up, which they do, that's all I want. The riches in life will come from that. You know, don't worry about wanting to play baseball, basketball, soccer. It has nothing to do with that. Be the best friend to your classmates. Show respect to your teachers or you know, to the person checking out, or just show respect. That's all, that's all I ask. Those two things, empathy and respect. I love that. That seems like a really great place to wrap up the podcast today. All right. I think I we're like going to have to have you back. Yes, yes. <laughs> racing. Can I come back? Come back. <laughs> yes. After our, after our stage race. Yeah. The stagers will do a podcast in the tent with my feet sticking out. Right. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, yeah, seriously. Thank, so thank you for coming to Malibu, and thank you for making me a better rider, and thank you for 
just thank you for everything. Seriously, both of you guys, it's been great. Yeah, and thanks for sharing your energy. Like, when you walk in a room, you can feel Reggie's in the uh, room. I don't know, but thank you. Can, because there's a lot of positive energy, and you're just such a great guy to be around. And like what you said, surrounding yourself with good people right. is so important. Yeah, and I have you, two of the best right here. <laughs> and you can feel it. Like, when you're around somebody where that kind of inspires you, and you mm -hmm. inspire Matt and I, and... Just that feeling of being around those people, I call that spark people, people that that, that spark you and ignite you and just make you want to be better. And you're definitely one of those people and we feel so fortunate Thank that you. we get to spend time with you and be your friend. My coach, my coach. Well, thank you. I, seriously, this has been, this is a great journey. We are all on together. Oh. So let's continue it. Let's continue our stage races. That was such a fun and electric conversation. So I don't know if you guys noticed, but the audio quality wasn't what it normally is. And that's because when I recorded this podcast, the next day my computer was stolen and it had the podcast on the computer. But fortunately I had a backup, which was my iPhone. I took a video of the conversation on my iPhone. We also were doing Instagram Live while we were recording this podcast. But I was able to send it over to Roma, my audio producer, and he was able to pull out the audio portion of the video and do the best that he could to make it sound good. And we thought about recording this podcast and doing it over again, but the energy of being in person just can't be matched by doing it over the phone. So thanks for bearing with us on that. I just got back from Brazil last week. I did a seven day mountain bike stage race called the Brazil Ride with teammate Gordon Wadsworth. And if you follow any of my social media, you've seen some pictures and some stories from the adventure. And we also had Gordon and Emmy on the show before the race, but we didn't talk about Brazil Ride that much. So we will be doing a follow-up episode kind of debriefing about the Brazil ride and how crazy of an experience it was. And really, the Brazil ride is the hardest stage race in the world. I'm pretty excited now that it's my off season. I had a 10 month long racing season and that's pretty standard for me. Last season, I actually took a shorter season because I had foot surgery. So it was nice to have a, a fall race schedule this year. But now I'm excited to just ride my bike, drink a few extra beers and just kind of take it easy for a little while and maybe travel a little bit less. But my first race of the year will be in January. It's the Trans Andes Challenge Stage Race in Chile. I've won it before. I'm hoping to go back and get another win under my belt there. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening to the show, for sharing it with your friends. Thank you for sending me messages. It really does help to have that encouragement. And I actually sometimes need it because it's a, it's a lot of, uh, of work to get this show out. It's a labor of love for sure. And it really helps me stay motivated. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for all the people who are contributing financially to my show on Patreon. What is Patreon? It's crowdfunding. It's crowdfunding for people's different projects. And I have a, a Patreon page for the podcast. And every dollar that you guys contribute for as little as four bucks a month, that helps me put it back into the show and pay for the audio production because it can get quite expensive on a monthly basis to put out a weekly show. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for your support and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. <laughs>